The From Day One podcast is brought to you by The Bridge and the Made in New York Media Center. Hi, I'm Nick Bailey, and this is the From Day One podcast. Today, we're sitting down with Steve Hindi, the co-founder of the legendary Brooklyn Brewery. When Hindi started his journey to beer, he took the long way around, working for five and a half years overseas as a journalist for the Associated Press. After returning to Brooklyn, Hindi was still working as a journalist by day and brewing at his Park Slope apartment in his spare time with the help of his downstairs neighbor, Tom Potter. In 1988, Hindi and Potter decided to take the next big step and open Brooklyn Brewery. They were soon spotted around the borough, hustling their wares in person, soon after delivered their first case to Teddy's, the classic Williamsburg pub. From seasonal brews like Post Road Pumpkin Nail or Brooklyn Chocolate Stout to the absolute stone-cold classic Brooklyn Lager, Brooklyn Brewery has always been about the beer. And today you can find them in restaurants, bars, and retailers across the United States in more than 20 countries. The brewery itself is a popular stop for tourists and locals alike here in Brooklyn. It sees about three or 4,000 visitors every weekend. Steve, thanks so much for joining us. Glad to be here. So tell me a little bit, what was the culture like around beer when you were growing up? Are you from Brooklyn originally? No, I, uh, I was born in West Virginia and uh, grew up in Ohio. And uh, alcohol, beer... Uh, bars were kind of uh, evil uh, in uh, southeastern Ohio. My, uh, I was raised Baptist. My grandmother was a real uh, Bible thumper. And uh, when she came to visit, mom and dad would hide uh, any beer or alcoholic beverages uh, in our house. <laughs> that's interesting. I mean, that's a funny segue. In retrospect, sort of you know, being American in the middle of the 20th century was sort of a, it was an unusual period, like for, for, for beer, for brewing, for alcohol, in part, you know, because of prohibition, because of that stuff. Um, for most of history, in most places, you know, brewing is, was intertwined with like the community. It was like an inherently local thing. It was, it was sort of knitted into the culture. Yeah. Um, when you, you know, had your travels and, you know, you had, you'd been working as a journalist before you started the brewery. Were you sort of aware of that relationship between brewing and, and, and community? Was that something that mattered to you at the time? Well, um, I had traveled uh, in Europe uh, after, after college. Uh, and, uh, you know, it, it was clear that uh, wine and, and beer and alcoholic beverages in general were much more a comfortable part of the culture in Europe uh, than I was used to back in my roots in, in Ohio. Um, and um, I, I think I really didn't begin to think about the connections with community until I moved here to Brooklyn and started reading about the history of brewing in Brooklyn. And some, you know, the, it's an amazing history. Uh, when Brooklyn became part of New York City in 1898, there were 48 breweries in, in Brooklyn. It was a, a major brewing center. And they were mostly German lager brewers, although there were some that predated the Germans who made English-style ales. Um, but many of those brewers were important uh, people in the community uh, in, in Brooklyn. And the same was true of the brewers in Manhattan, uh, for instance, uh, Jacob Rupert, who owned the Rupert Brewery on the Upper East Side of Manhattan. Uh, Rupert was uh, a, a very important figure uh, in, in politics uh, in, in New York City. He was elected to the House of Representatives uh, for two terms. And uh, 
He eventually bought uh, the New York Yankees, and, which were kind of a, a, not a very good team at that time. And he was responsible for bringing uh, Babe Ruth to New York City and building Yankee Stadium. Uh, and, uh, you know, very much a, a, a public figure. And the same was true of many of the brewers uh, in, in Brooklyn. Uh, the Tromer Brewery, uh, the Tromer family, were very important uh, people uh, in, in Brooklyn. And eventually, Rudy Schaefer, who had the Schaefer Brewery, also uh, played a, an important role in, in civic affairs in Brooklyn. So the, it was really studying the history of brewing in Brooklyn that... Uh, made me realize that a brewer could play a bigger role than just making the beer and selling the beer. And that became part of, uh, of our credo uh, with Brooklyn Brewery. Now you had, started, you had started brewing yourself as a home brewer, right, when you were overseas? Uh, actually, I never brewed overseas. Uh, I, I drank the beer that the diplomats made, uh, uh, I met diplomats who had been based in Saudi Arabia, where they have Islamic law, no alcoholic beverages, and they were avid homebrewers. Uh, they continued homebrewer brewing where I met them in Cairo, because the beer in Egypt was not great. Um, and uh, I was amazed how good their beer was. Uh, AP wanted me to go to the Philippines next, and uh, I was all excited about that. It was the biggest story in the world. President Marcos was in trouble. And my, it was my wife who said, uh, no, I've had enough of this. I, I want to go back home. If, if you get posted to Rome, I'll be there with you. But uh, Manila, forget it. We had two kids by then. So uh, really it was Ellen who brought me back to, uh, to New York. And uh, we settled here in Brooklyn. I started making beer at home, and my life took a, a different direction. What was the, the first thing that happened that made you think that you could do this for people that weren't yourself and your friends? Uh, you know, I read about the small breweries that were starting up around the country. There were only about 25 at that time, mostly on the West Coast. There were a couple in the East. And, um, uh, you know, knowing the history of brewing in Brooklyn, the, the last two big breweries that closed in 1976, I, ju I just thought Brooklyn would be a perfect place for one of these, you know, what were called at the time microbreweries. And uh, I, I always had a conceit that I could succeed in business. There, I had no evidence to support that, uh, having been a journalist most of my life. Uh, but when I was a kid, I won a lot of contests selling things. And uh, that was basically my only resume for uh, being able to start a company. Um, I mean, are there, are there similarities between being a journalist and an entrepreneur? I mean, they both have a lot of storytelling involved, right? Yeah. I mean, being able to tell a story, being able to write, being able to express yourself, obviously, is, is really important for any businessman, particularly with a uh, consumer product like beer. Um, but also, you know, journalists are very enterprising. They, they're self-starters. And they're persistent. <laughs> and all of those qualities, I, I think, uh, you know, uh, were important in uh, uh, the history of the Brooklyn Brewery. And, uh, you know, obviously not a lot of journalists make that kind of career change. But um, as it turned out, it was, a, it was a pretty good moment to turn away from journalism, given uh, 
sadly, what's happened uh, to uh, so many great newspapers and uh, other media over the last 25 years. So, so you start, you know, you're, you are homebrewing. A lot of, a lot of people who, who want to do something similar to what you've done, whether they're, especially if it's like food and beverage or, or things that a lot of people do as a hobby or as part of their daily life, a lot of times people think, well, I'll, you know, I'll create it and then I'll maybe I'll sell it on the front stoop or I'll, you know, I'll sell it at the local craft fair or something like that. You, you guys took a really different approach. You, you guys sort of started um, working with partners and contract brewing. And, and instead of starting in a garage, you started that way until you could get your own garage. And then you brought it all back to being local. Um, did, was that a conscious decision at the time? It was, but it wasn't, uh, wasn't our idea. It was a, another entrepreneur who lived on our block in 8th Street in, in Park Slope, a woman named Sophia Collier. Sophia had started a company called Soho Natural Soda. Uh, basically, she cooked up these all-natural soda products in her kitchen. And she was selling her company to Seagram's when we were starting up uh, for like $25 million. So we were very impressed by Sophia Collier. Also, Anheuser-Busch, the big uh, brewing conglomerate, had copied, ripped off her product. And they came out with a product called Zelter Seltzer. And they used, uh, you know, the same kind of checkerboard label that she had on her, on her uh, beverage. And uh, she sued them and won and got a multi-million dollar settlement. So I stopped Sophia on the street one day and I said, ask her if she'd give us some advice. At that time, we had, a, we had a logo, we had a label, we had a test brew. She tried it. She said, this is great. Uh, you know, the, the logo is fantastic. Uh, the beer tastes great. It's very different than mainstream beer. That's a good thing. And she said, you know, this is not going to work unless you guys distribute your own beer. She said, I know you're dreaming of starting your brewery and, and, and you know, r- rolling out the kegs from your little garage brewery. But I advise you to contract somewhere else to make the beer in the beginning and you get out there and sell it. And she told us about starting out with Soho. She tried health food distributors. It failed. Soda distributors, beer distributors, it flopped. Uh, And she said she didn't succeed until she bought a van, put her logo on the van, and went out herself and hand-sold her product. And so we kind of tore up our business plan and started over uh, on Sophia's advice. And... uh, it was really difficult. I mean, Brooklyn Lager, I know today it's kind of an entry-level beer. Uh, nobody flinches when they try it. But 30 years ago, it was a shock to the system for a lot of beer drinkers who were used to light lager beer. Uh, so I got a lot of advice early on about, you know, forget about this Brooklyn Lager thing. Make a beer like Heineken or Budweiser. But uh, that wasn't what we were doing. And thank God... There were some people who believed in us, and um, you know, being our own distributor, we had a very intimate relationship with all of our customers. We heard, we got feedback right away, and uh, I think that turned out to be an incredible advantage. Uh, in our first like 15 years of the business, there were probably 30 startups in Metro New York, startup breweries that failed. And many of them, I believe, because of distribution issues. That's interesting. You mentioned just then you know, the fantastic logo that you had. Um, that's a, an important part of the, the brewery's history. You guys had solicited and, and gotten um, 
Uh, Milton Glaser, who's a, a legendary graphic designer, created the I Love New York logo most famously and many other um, iconic things that we've all seen. Um, why did that's an unusual choice. Why did you think that a visual collaborator was such an important person to bring in like at the very beginning like that? Well, I mean, Milton is more than a, a visual collaborator. <laughs> I mean, it, 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 I, I realized early on that the identity of the company was going to be, uh, you know, a really critical element of, uh, of uh, success. And uh, I wanted to call it Brooklyn Eagle Beer after the Brooklyn Eagle newspaper edited by Walt Whitman because of my newspaper background. And so I interviewed, I, I went on a tear. I interviewed uh, literally 30 design firms. And first of all, I was surprised how expensive it was to do a corporate identity. And, you know, minimum was like $40,000. And secondly, uh, no one was really giving me anything back. They all kind of flattered me. They tried to sell me. And I wanted someone to tell me what to do. I knew I didn't know what I was doing. And I got very frustrated. My wife at one, one point said, look, why don't you call the best designers in New York? It's probably some of the best in the world. You're a journalist. You don't mind cold calling anyone anytime in the night or today. So I did. And, and we got these meetings with uh, Tremayev and Geismar and Pentagram and these legendary uh, design studios. Uh, and except for when I call Milton Glaser was the only designer I knew anything about because I, I – I re when I was in college, he did the Penguin Shakespeare series. He did the covers for them. And I remember he did the Bob Dylan album way back in the 60s. Um, and, of course, I love New York. But when I called Milton's office, a woman named Eva answered the phone. And, and she heard me out and, and then said, do you know who Milton is? And I said, well, yeah, I hear he's pretty good. I want to talk to him. And she said, he doesn't just talk to anyone who calls here. And it kind of brought out the journalist in me. I mean, it, it took me like a, a week of bugging Eva, Eva to finally get her to say, uh, you're not going to give up, are you? And I said, no. She said, okay, here he is, and put Milton on. I kind of blurted out the idea. And we met with Milton, and the first thing he said was, uh, look, we got Brooklyn here. Nobody's claiming Brooklyn. And Brooklyn is special. Uh, so we don't need an eagle. Let's ditch the bird. Forget it. We call it Brooklyn Beer, Brooklyn Lager, Brooklyn Brewery. And uh, he was right. That was amazing advice. Um, it's interesting to reflect that 30 years ago, there were a lot of people, in including lifelong Brooklyn people, who said, you really want to call it Brooklyn? Uh, you know, the image is not so great. The crime is high, et cetera. But, uh, I mean, it's turned out to be an incredible calling card for us. Uh, I just came back uh, yesterday from a trip to Portugal, where we launched uh, Brooklyn Beers, and Norway, where we already sell a lot of beer, and Scotland, where we sell a lot of beer. So we've become an international brand without any advertising. Uh, it's all been word of mouth, and, and that name, Brooklyn, has been a linchpin to that uh, that push around the globe. Yeah, I was in um, I was in Paris this summer, and I, uh, I met, <laughs> as I have a high school friend who was living in like in a suburb of Paris, like in a very unfashionable sort of apartment block neighborhood, and we went to her corner bar, and the bar was called the Brooklyn Bar, yeah. and it had Brooklyn <laughs> beer prominently on tap, 
and you know sort of fake graffiti on the walls. Um, it's it's an amazing phenomenon to witness. I mean, did you see that coming? Was that really just a surprise to you guys? No, I didn't see it coming at all. Uh, we, uh, you know, I I was first time I came to New York City was 1957. Uh, yeah, seven. I came with my mother and grandmother for the Billy Graham Crusades. And mom and grandma got saved seven nights in a row at Madison Square Garden. I fell asleep seven nights in a row. And we went to the last Brooklyn Dodger game at Ebbets Field. And we, we were really into baseball. My dad played pro baseball. So um, I was just completely over, overwhelmed by New York. I, I wanted to be part of this. I wanted to be here someday. So, and, and, you know, through college, I went to Cornell and upstate. There were a lot of Brooklyn kids uh, at Cornell. And I just kind of admired the moxie of the Brooklyn kids. And uh, I wanted to be here someday. So, um, yeah, I believed in, in Brooklyn for sure. As it's kind of, you know, it's kind of a mythical place in America and the world, in literature, in film. Uh, and, it, you know, it, it, to... To say something about a person in, in a novel, for instance, uh, often people say they're from Brooklyn. And somehow that says a lot about uh, their ability to deal with the world. So, uh, yeah, I'm a, I'm a Brooklyn uh, patriot for sure. And you guys also, you know, another part of your identity at the beginning was you guys collaborated a lot with arts institutions. You know, there's Brooklyn Brewery, which combined with the Brooklyn Academy of Music, the Brooklyn yeah. Museum. Um, how did that happen? Well, you know, New York City is probably the most expensive and noisiest media market in the world. So early on, I realized there's no way we can play uh, it with traditional advertising here. It's going to have to be word of mouth. So let's take our meager marketing dollars and put them into donating beer to arts organizations uh, not-for-profits, causes we believed in. And, uh, you know, that's what we did. And, and it got our beer into the hands of a lot of people, and it created a lot of goodwill, which exists to this day. I mean, we still do that. Uh, we probably donate to between three and 400 organizations uh, here in Brooklyn every year. And we do that in all the markets where we sell beer. Uh, and that is our marketing plan. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's worked out pretty well. I mean, speaking of, of, of the economics of it, what, what are the economics of the brewing business? Is it, a, is, it a, is it a very capital intensive business at the outset? Does it always stay that way? Yeah, you, you know, building a brewery is a very expensive project. And, uh, you know, I don't have to tell you, it's doubly expensive uh, in, in New York City. Um, and then there's always a perilous moment when you're growing and you need more capacity and you've got to invest in expanding the brewery. Uh, so when you make that, uh, you, uh, you know, you lay out that money for the tanks and the expansion, you're going to, you got to pay for those tanks, whether you use them or not. Uh, and so there's, there are always just these moments where you're taking, kind of rolling the dice on your continued growth. And uh, that's been the case for us here in Brooklyn. It's actually, uh, you, you know, there are 5,700 breweries across America now. When I started, there were fewer than 50 brewing companies in America. So the 
a startup cost of a small brewery is not so high. Um, but if you want to grow, if you want to get bigger, then you encounter the heavy uh, capital outlays. Is it, is it, do you ever get a chance to relax? I mean, now that you're successful, do you, can you, is, 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 it, is it easier than it was before or is it harder? Oh, it's much easier. I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm uh, chairman now. And uh, basically all I do is go around and talk like this. Uh, that's, that's what I was doing in Portugal, uh, Norway, and, and, and Scotland, uh, you know, the last couple of weeks. And uh, I love it. I, I love telling the story. I love uh, uh, telling people about our beer. And we keep making, uh, you know, more and more interesting beers and fascinating beers. So there's, there's plenty to talk about. And uh, I paid my dues. We, we worked really hard for really for like 20 years before it was very clear that, you know, we were on our way to something big. Now, you mentioned, you know, the explosion from 30 breweries to 5,700 or 5,000 or more that you just mentioned. Um, it seems like even in, in the very recent past, uh, and maybe I'm just, uh, you know, a sample size of one, but I know when you stop at the local sort of specialty store or, uh, you know, the corner organics local sort of market, there's this explosion of multicolored you know, cans, um, tiny runs of beer. You know, it, it, it seems like the market's changing really quickly, even today. Are you, are you part of that? Do you see that? Oh, yeah, absolutely. That's uh, the, you know, the vast majority of those 5,700 breweries are really small, like under 1,000 barrels a year. You know, we'll sell more than 300,000 barrels this year. So, um if you that say the top fifty of those fifty seven hundred are are good sized breweries, most of them are very small, and that's why it's a very low bar to start up. Uh, but most of them, their goal is to sell beer in their neighborhood uh, and to have special beers that people come out for and stand in line for. Um, but I think for most of those breweries, it's going to be hard to make the, um, make the step to being a, a, a regional brand or a national brand and certainly an international brand. Um, I think that's, that's, you know, that's going to be difficult. It's interestingly, uh, if you come to the Brooklyn Brewery for a tour, we have tours on the weekends and during the week, um, we have a collection of old New York City brewery bottles. There are about 80 breweries in the collection mostly from the 19th century. And most of those breweries were tiny. They were like less than a thousand barrels a year. They were basically making beer for their neighborhood. And a lot of those breweries didn't make it beyond one generation, um, which is true of a lot of uh, uh, manufacturing businesses in Brooklyn over the years. Uh, you know, the, the, it takes passion to start a brewery, and uh, uh, that passion doesn't off always uh, transfer to the next generation. Uh, so I think a lot of those breweries probably are not going to be around more than one generation, but, uh, you know, God knows there are plenty of them uh, coming. Uh, there are about 200 in planning now, beyond the 5,700 already operating. So uh, uh, I'm not going to predict how many ultimately there are going to be in America, but I think there could be a lot more. There could be 10,000 breweries uh, in America. In the 1870s, 
was the last high watermark for breweries in America. And there were 4,000 in the 1870s. And the population of America, I think, was like 40 or 50 million people at that time. So, um, you know, it, it, there are going to be a lot more breweries coming. It's not just breweries, too, isn't it, right? I mean, especially here in Brooklyn, there's, there's an explosion of, you know, I guess what, what you'd call artisanal uh, lifestyle-related businesses, especially in food, beverages, but also in things like furniture, manufacturing. Yeah. Um, do you feel like the, that's part of your legacy, some of that, some of that explosion? Do you, do you feel like you've been a part of that or an influence on that? Well, I think we showed that uh, you could do this in, in Brooklyn. And, uh, you know, to me, it's a continuation of what Brooklyn has always been. Brooklyn has always been a place for makers and, and strivers. And it continues to be that. The What's unusual about Brooklyn today is the number of educated, ambitious young people pouring into Brooklyn. I, that's new. I, that never happened before. Um, but, you know, and a lot of people say, oh, Brooklyn, you know, it's, it's becoming like Manhattan. That's a dumb thing to say. I, I mean, I think 80% of the people in Brooklyn, their, their goal in life is to get out of Brooklyn, you know, <laughs> to, to go to the suburbs or to go to, you know, uh, to New Jersey or the Midwest or whatever. Uh, it's still a haven for immigrants and, uh, and strivers. What's next for you personally? Um, you know, I'm, I'm very happy uh, being an ambassador for Brooklyn Brewery, and uh, I think I'll be doing that uh, for any, any number of years. Uh, today, after I finish this, I'm going back to the brewery, and we're tasting some uh, test brews that, that we've got going on. And uh, I'm also sketching out uh, another book. You know, I wrote a book called Beer School which uh, with Tom Potter, my original partner, Mayor Bloomberg wrote a foreword for us. And uh, a lot of business schools pick up that book and use it because it's a very honest account of the struggles we had starting a brewery in, in Brooklyn. I wrote a second book called The Craft Beer Revolution, which is really kind of an insider's history of craft beer in America. Because I know most of the pioneer, all, all the pioneers, and uh, I've been involved not from the very beginning, but way back there. Um, and I think I'm, I'm going to uh, work on a book called Beer School 2 because beers, the first beer school ended uh, in like 2004 and a lot has happened since then. In 2004, we were selling about 40,000 barrels and now we're selling almost 10 times that. And uh, back then, our exports were a tiny part of our business. Now they're half our business. So, there's a story to be told about how Brooklyn Brewery became an international brand, and uh, I think people will enjoy it. Well, Steve, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much. It was fun. You've been listening to From Day One, how Brooklyn entrepreneurs got their start. This series is made possible by a grant from the Made in New York Media Center in conjunction with The Bridge, a new site dedicated to reporting on business in Brooklyn. For more from The Bridge, to learn more about today's guest or to listen to more episodes of From Day One, visit us at thebridgebk.com. That's T-H-E-B-R-I-D-G-E-B-K.com. From Day One is produced by Kim Thornton, Steve Kep, and myself, Nick Bailey. Audio editing and post-production by Al Sigman. The From Day One logo was created by Joe Meyer, and our theme music was performed by Jody Rockwell and the Ambulance. Thanks for listening.